This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. We are live. Awesome. Okay, welcome everyone. Thank you all for joining. Tonight we are learning So tonight the the way that this shear, this class came about was I was focusing on a completely different angle to prepare what I want, and I'll tell you what I wanted to speak about. I wanted to speak about the secrets of the Simanim, right? We're coming to Rosh Hashanah, and we have all these things that we do on, on, you know, on the Rosh Hashanah night, that we dip the apple in the honey, and then we eat pomegranates, and we eat a head, and we eat of a, a fish or a ram, depending on what the level of your, that you have. And we have all these different Simanim, and I wanted to really speak and focus on that, and that was the, really the, the, um, my plan when preparing this year. And then I came across, I came across something from Rabbi Yaakov Galinsky that just blew my mind and it's kind of related to it. So I might, my, my plan, again, I plan, Kaddish Baruch Hu laughs, but my plan is that maybe next, uh, next week, hopefully we'll be able to give the class on the secrets of the Simanim, but this is kind of like a kind of an introduction to that class. It's a standalone class in itself, but it's something that, I was preparing, uh, you know, like I was preparing one angle and I came across a different angle that's just so beautiful that the more that I delved into it and the truth is if I had more time, I would be able to even like, like delve more. And I know there's so much more into this, but because Wednesday night came and it's time for the class, we're going to have to give whatever we have and hopefully next week we'll be able to, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, beautify this all the more so. But tonight it, it's such a beautiful concept, such a beautiful idea. And I hope that with Hashem's help that I'll be able to present this to you in a beautiful package as it should be uh but that being said there are times where you might be a little bit like hmm what's going on over here so just bear with me stay with me it will it's it's a fairly simple concept that we're going to speak about tonight beautiful concept but there might be moments where you're going to be like mm, not sure what's going on right now so just bear with me stay with us during this uh flight so Rabbi Yaakov Galinsky starts off with this, with this, uh, um, beautiful, beautiful Torah that, you know, we come to Rosh Hashanah and everybody comes with a long list of what we want for this coming year, right? So we know we're coming to Rosh Hashanah and everything that's, we're going to be decreed, everything that's going to happen this coming year, it's going to be dis- decreed, you know, this Rosh Hashanah. So we want to have an, the most amazing year. And if you would go and you would want a list of things, the list would not end, right? You want to have blessings, you want to have brachot, you want to have happiness, you want to have joy, you want to have yeshuot, you want to have salvations, you want to be comfortable, you want to have, uh, you know, a significant panasai, you want to have a lot of money, you want to have prosperity, you want to live in peace, in tranquility, you want to be forgiven for all your sin. The list goes on and on and on and on. But if you wanted to summarize the, all the requests, Rabbi Galinsky explains that you could summarize it by Shana Tova Umetuka, that you should have a good and sweet year. Now, we have to ask, what is that? Uh, I said this all the time, right? I always, you say this, everybody says this, right? You, we bless everyone, you have a Shana Tova Umetuka. You have a, a good and, but if we look at the translation, Shana Tova, right? We, we ask even HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that you should make us Shana Tova Umetuka. It's not something that just like some person decided to, you know, to make out. This is a prayer that we say in the Hebrew outset. You, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu should give us a good year. And mituka, a sweet year. 
what is the difference? Why, what is a good sweet year? Like if you were to go and to say how, how would, what would you want? A good year. You know, if you're poetic, you know, if you're a little artsy, you'd say, okay, I want to have a sweet year. But a good sweet year, like the, the, when you translate it and when you think about it, it kind of doesn't flow. Like, what, is, what do you mean a sweet year? I mean, okay, it makes sense. You want to have a sweet year. Why couldn't it be a good happy year? Why specifically, like the, like the, the aspect of the phrase, is what I want to deal with, uh, you know, tonight. So, when we look at the tefillah, the prayer of Unesana Taikif, Unesana Taikif, a powerful prayer, which I believe we spoke about before, the origins of it, we're not going to get to it today, uh, but the, the prayer goes and, and, and asks HaKadosh Baruch Hu that B'Rosh Hashanah, on Rosh Hashanah Yikasevun, everything is going to be written. Ubayom Tzom Kippur Yikasevun. And on, on Yom Kippur, on the fast of Yom Kippur, that's when everything is going to be sealed. And then it goes on to list a whole list of things. Kamayavron, Kamayavron, who will, who will succeed, who will not, who will not be around. Miyechia Miyamas, who will live, who would, who would die. Mi Bikitza, let me get to who in his time, who is not at time. Mi Bamayim, who in water, Mi Baish, and who in fire. Mi Bacharev, who in the sword, or Mi Bachaya, meaning that who's going to die in which, in which way. Mi Barav, Mi and it goes on and on to uh, a list of few things. And then it finishes off, Who will be in peace and tranquility? Who will be harassed? And then it says, Who will be poor and who will be wealthy? Right? It's, it's, it's a whole... Uh, a, Powerful, powerful, powerful prayer. Whenever I get to this, to this, to this part in the tefillah, it always shakes me, and it shakes everybody. It's a very powerful prayer. But Rabbi Yaakov Galinsky explains this something that I've never, ever, I've said this for many, many years, and I've never thought about it until I read this. And Rabbi Galinsky explains that there is two aspects over here that we don't seem to see. There is a what aspect and there is a how aspect. The what aspect, who will be poor, who will be rich. That is the what. Hopefully, we will be rich. Who will be degraded, who will be exalted. That's the what. Hopefully, we will be exalted. Who will enjoy tranquility, who will suffer. The what is we want tranquility. We should never know from suffering. That is the what. The how is who will rest, who will wander. That's the how. How will we, and we'll explain this. If you don't follow me so till, till now, you'll, you'll understand this very clearly soon. The, who will find serenity, who will be a rest. That is the how. How we're going to get to the what. So that aspect, keep it in mind. We're going to circle around to it. So, a Shana Tova, a good year, is the what. A sweet year, Metuka, is the how. Now listen to this, how beautifully this is going to plug in. We know that if we don't behave the way that we're supposed to, as the Mishnah and Kedushan tells us, that if you ever see a wild animal or a bird, do they ever have a profession? Do they have to go to college? Do they have to earn a degree? And then be like, yes, I'm going to do your taxes. Oh, yes, I, you know, I'm going to present you. Here's the medication. They don't have any de- yet. They are always given the food that they need it. HaKadosh Baruch Hu provides their sustenance without any issue. So the Mishnah goes on. So wait a minute. If the animals who are created to serve human beings have no issue with survival on, in regards to, to Parnassah, to, to livelihood, then how come I, 
who I am created to serve God, and the animals were created to serve me, then how come I have to live, have the, this difficulty of livelihood of panasah? So that Mishnah says, what is the reason that animals have it easier? Animals, you know, they don't have to go and go to college. They don't have to go and find a job. They have their food set up for them. Human beings have it difficult. Why? Because what the Mishnah says, because we committed sins, we committed wrongdoings, and we destroyed our panasa, we destroyed our livelihood. The, the, the Gemara in Shabbos, page 55a, goes on this idea in regards to suffering. There is no suffering without sin. Meaning that everything that's difficult, everything that's negative, that comes through us is because of our wrongdoing, whether you want to go in this lifetime, in a previous lifetime, whatever it is, ultimately it's because of something wrong that we did. And even, even if, if it's what's destined to you, right? The, the Gemara Maud Katan tells us, um, Maud Katan in, uh, the Gemara Maud Katan page 28a tells us that, that sustenance, panasa, life and children all depends on one's mazal. What's mazal? Mazal is depends on, 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 on your astrological sign, but a lot deeper than that. It depends on the time, the day and the month. All that factors into how wealthy you're going to be, how much money you're going to make, how long you're going to live, what, you know, you know, the children, so on and so forth. How, and the Gemara in, in, uh, Gemara in Tainus also tells us in, uh, page 25a that tells us that Rabbi Lazar Rabbi Lazar was a very, very poor man. He was a great, great tzaddik, a righteous man. He was very poor. He had nothing to eat. And he asked Kaddish Baruch Hu, he asked God, when is it going to be the end of all my suffering? And Akadish Baruch who told him, God told him, says, do you want me to recreate the world so that you will be born in an auspicious and opportune time for the mazalot, for the, for the stars, that you would be born in a time that would be, uh, that you would have success in, in, uh, in your livelihood. So we see over here that there are things that are destined for you. Meaning that are things that are destined based on your astrological sign, based on when you are created, based on when you are born, all based on certain factors that are beyond your capabilities, that are beyond your uh, uh, sort of hands. But Toysvist tells us in the Gemara in Shabbos and in the Gemara in Yifamos that even if something is destined for us, for whatever, whichever way, good or bad, we have the merit to change it. We have the, we can change our mazal. We can change our astrological powers. How do we do that? Through chuvat filaut You have the ability to remove a bad decree or a bad or a negative mazal. So we have the ability to change our destiny. Now, even if you go in the positive and say that you have many, many blessings that are coming to you, the question that we have to delve on, so how are you going to achieve and receive those blessings? Meaning, so you're going to get the apple, but is it going to be dipped in vinegar or is it going to be dipped in honey? How are you going to achieve that blessing? Meaning that let's say you're supposed to make a certain amount of money this year. The question that comes up in regarding your receiving of that money is how much effort you have to put to that. Do you have to do a lot of hishtadlut, a lot of effort and work to earn that panasa? Or is it going to come to you easier? Meaning, how much are you going to have to wander in traveling in pursuing your panasa? On Rosh Hashanah, we pray, we daven ta'kadosh baruch Hu, that we, grant, we ask Hashem to grant us not only the apple, but also the honey. Meaning, 
that we want the blessing of everything that HaKadosh Baruch is going to give us, but we want it with little effort. We don't want to have to travel far, meaning there's a what and there's a how. There's you're going to be rich, you're going to be, you're going to be poor. We want to be rich, but how are you going to be rich? Do you have to wander? Do you have to go far to travel for that? Or is it going to be local? Is it going to be close to you? We want to have tranquility. We want to have to, to have peace. But is it going to be through suffering or is it not going to be through suffering? Meaning that we want something. We can get to a certain destination. But the question is going to be, how do we get to that destination? We have a blessing. But how are we going to achieve? How are we going to receive that blessing? Is it going to be through difficulty or is it going to be through easiness? There is the apple, the blessing. We have it there. But are we going to get it through honey or are we going to get it through vinegar? The... Perkei de Rabbi Lezer brings on a medrash that Adam Harishain was put in Gan Eden to work. The question that comes up, what work did Adam Harishain have to do? We know that when, 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 when Adam was put in the Garden of Eden, he did it, the, the angels worked for him. He had plenty of servants working for him. They went and they roasted the meat. They went and they strained his wine. What did he have to do? All he had to do is recline and, and receive the blessing. So what is the work that Adam was placed in Gan Eden for? The work that he had to do was not the physical labor. It was the spiritual labor. It was the ruchnius work. It was the work of learning Torah and, do, and earning mitzvahs. But what happened was, is that he sinned. And he was thrown out of Gan Eden. And when he was thrown out of Gan Eden, the Pasuk tells us now, Now you are going to go, and in order for you to survive, in order for you to get a panasa, in order for you to get a livelihood, you are going to have to work for it. You had to work before, but it was a different work. It was a spiritual work. Now you're going to have to do a physical work. And the Gemara Kedushim, page 82a, tells us that because he sinned, because he went and he, did, he, he didn't listen to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he can no longer devote all his time solely to Torah Mitzvot. He has to now, now in order to eat bread, he has to go through the sweat of his brow. He has to work for it. But, on the same thought, the Mishnah in Perkei Avas tells us that Rabbi Yechud ben Akana Aymer, Rabbi Yechud ben Akana says, Call him a Kabbal Alav al if someone accepts upon himself the yoke of Torah, they remove for him the worldly affairs, meaning that he doesn't have to deal with the worldly affairs that's taken care of for him. Let's try to explain this concept. And soon everything's going to plug in so beautifully. Just bear with me. Or maybe you're already plugging it in your head already as now. We know the Jews in the Midbar, in the desert, there was, when the man, fell from heaven, there was different ways that the man fell depending on the level of the person. A righteous person, they walked out their door, the food from heaven, the man fell right in front of their, their doorpost, they opened the door, they picked it up, and they had food for the day. That was the righteous people. What about the middle people, the Benonim, the middle world people? They had to go, and they had to walk a little bit further out. They had to walk to the edge of camp, and they collected their food, and then they came in. What about the wicked people? The Rasha'im, the wicked people, they had to travel longer distance. And not only they had to travel, they had to gather it, meaning they had to collect a little bit here, a little bit here. They had to work hard for their food for that day. What is the difference over here? The Tzadikim, the righteous people, what did they spend their time? They went, they spent their time learning Torah. So HaKadosh Baruch says, you're learning Torah, you're focusing on the spiritual growth. 
I'm going to take care of your livelihood. The the food fell right in front of their of their doorstep. The Benonim were in the middle. They were still in the middle. So they said, you're going to have to work for it, but not as hard. The wicked people abandoned the Torah study. They did. They weren't focused on the Torah. They weren't focused on growing themselves spiritually. They weren't focused on improving their character traits. So Gadish Brogel says, you're not, wor- you're not working on yourself spiritually. You're going to work on yourself physically. Meaning that we have to work one way or another. The question is going to be, is your work going to be physically or is your work going to be spiritually? The Chavot al-Vavot in the introduction to Shah Bedachan brings a famous story. We spoke about this when we spoke about our Muna series. But just for a recap, there was a certain parusha, was a certain person that stayed away from uh, anything physically and any any physicality. And before he renounced his his uh, uh, removal from the physical world, he traveled to this distant country to go and to earn a livelihood, a panasa, to earn a living. And he came across this person who was a idol worshiper. And he was looking at this person. And this person is going and is praying and is bowed down and is surfing a piece of wood, a piece of stone. And he goes over to him and he says, I don't understand. You're worshiping an idol? Who has no power whatsoever? This is what you're basing your 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 life on. Something that you created that has no power whatsoever. So this idolater was not angry. He was curious. He inquired. So wait a minute. So if you don't serve the same idol that I serve, who do you serve? So this uh, you know this this polish this man goes and says, ah. Oh, you want to know who I serve? He says, I go and I serve Melech Melchi Amlochem. I serve the one key, the king, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who has control of everything in the entire world from A to Z. So this idolater goes over to him and says, so what are you doing over here? He says, you know, I came to look for a livelihood. So this person who serves idols says, wait a minute. If you serve a god who has full power, full control over the entire world, why do you have to travel to my country to try to earn a livelihood? If your God is so powerful, earn a livelihood in your country, in your place. You think God needs you to travel here to make a livelihood? He could give you a panasav right where you are. So the guy thought about it for a second, or a minute, or an hour, and he said, you know what, you're right. He dropped everything. He went back home and he decided to leave his life of, uh, of chasing physical things and focus only on the spiritual things. And there's another story similar to this in a medrash. And the medrash, there was a certain coin. And this coin, he treated and cured leprosy. That's what he did. And one time he became poor. And he told his wife he was going to leave the land of Israel. He's going to leave Eretz Israel. He was going to go seek a livelihood upon Asa. But the problem was, he didn't want to abandon everybody that came to him to cure leprosy. So he decided that he's going to teach his wife the secret and how to cure leprosy, how to diagnose leprosy. So he starts teaching his wife and he says, you know, that every single here has its own fountain. And it's nourished by a particular source. That it's behind, meaning that every follicle, every hair follicle has a source of nourishment. And once that nourishment dries up, the hair begins to dry up, and that's a sign of leprosy. So his wife is listening to him, and hearing him preach and teach her about the hair. And this happens very often, I should just tell you, when you're going and you're speaking something and you don't realize what you're speaking. And she responds to him, she says, wait a minute, you're telling me that HaKadosh Baruch Hu sustains, God sustains every follicle of here. 
So why is it that you have to travel out of the country to sustain your family? If God could sustain every single follicle of here, every single blade of here, then God could sustain you over here. So he listened to her and he says, you know what, you're right. And he stayed right then and there. And these are two stories very similar that God could, could, you know, give you the blessing wherever it is, right where you are. Ask Rabbi Galitsky a beautiful question. This makes absolutely no sense to me. What does that mean that God could sustain wherever you are? That is true. God has the power to do it. But maybe the previous Rosh Hashanah, God said that this person is going to make X amount of money. But who said that HaKadosh Baruch said that it's going to be in your country? Maybe you're going to have to wander. Maybe you're going to have to go into exile. Maybe you're going to have to travel. We Maybe you're not going to live in that tranquility. We don't know. The, the Nisana Tukim says, mianuach, mianuach. Who is going to live in tranquility? Who is going to go through suffering? Who is going to go through har- harassment? How do you know that your panasa is going to be right here, right now? Maybe your panasa, you have to travel for it. That's part of the decree. There is the what and there is the how. There is the what that you want to be wealthy, but how are you going to get to it? Maybe you do have to travel. So ask Rabbi Galinsky a beautiful question. Wait a minute. Who said that these people should say, you know what? Let me go and let me, and let me, I'll learn over here. It's true that God could sustain you everywhere, but maybe your decree on the past Rosh Hashanah was that you have to travel for Panasa. You have to go and wander for your Panasa. So maybe the coin had to really wander outside of Israel. Maybe this Parush really had to go travel outside Israel and, and to go. Who said that he's going to get the Panasah in his own country, in his own city? So the answer so beautifully is the Gemara in Sanhedrin, page 99b. That tells us that all humans were created for toil. We were all created in this world not as much as we would want to. It's not for relaxation. We weren't put in this world for vacations. We were put in this world, world to work. And the Gemara goes on and says, fortunate are those who put their work, their toil in the Torah. The Midrash also goes and says a similar thing regarding suffering. That person has to go through, through a certain amount of suffering every year. But fortunate are those who their suffering came through Torah learning. Meaning that there is a certain amount of toil that you have to go through. There is a certain amount of suffering that you have to go through. But the question on how are you going to check off those boxes of the suffering of the toil is kind of up to you. Are you going to check off those boxes by learning when it's difficult? By coming to classes when it's difficult and you're not in the mood or learning when you're not in the mood or praying when you're not in the mood or working on yourself when you're not in the mood, you're toiling and you're dip, you're going through suffering. Are you going to go through suffering when it's going to be so difficult for you to overcome your temptation, your desire to scream and yell and get angry and you're going to say, no, I'm going to hold myself back. Is that where you're going to deal with your suffering, your difficulty? Or is HaKadosh Baruch Hu going to have to give it to you in a different area? Meaning that there's a certain to- a certain amount of suffering and toil that you have to go through. But it's up to each and every single one of us how we're going to check off those boxes. We could do it through learning Torah, through growing through ourselves, through growing through difficulty. Or HaKadosh Baruch Hu could send us in other ways. And we want to say no thank you. We don't want that. The Kohen and the Parash, they had the ability, they had to go through certain amounts of suffering. But what they changed was, instead of the suffering that I'm going to get with the travels and going out for Panasa, I'm going to do that in learning Torah. I'm going to focus and push myself to learn more, to grow more, to gain more in Yiddishkeit, in spirituality. 
Let's take this step a little bit further and a little bit clearer. Look how beautiful it is. Oh, my gosh. I'm already, uh, uh, my heart, my heart rate is already racing. Gotta slow myself down. Get so too excited. When Asav packed up all his property, he moved out. He moved to Seir. Why? Because the Torah tells us of Yaakov's brother. What is, what is about Yaakov's brother? So the Pasuk tells us in Barashas, chapter 15, verse 13. It says, Your children, your offsprings, they are going to be strangers in a land that not theirs. Meaning that they're going to go into exile. They're going to go into slavery. But what's going to happen is they're going to, they're going to be receiving a payment of a debt that they went into slavery. Esau said, I'm going to have to get out of here since I'm not going to have any share in their gift. The land was given to Yaakov. There's no share in the in the payment of the debt. The exile of Egypt was a debt. I don't have any. I, I wasn't part of that debt. So Esau moved to say to the to Seir. So the question that is asked, listen to this beautiful question. Wait a minute. Let's look at the tribe of Levi, Shavit Levi. Shavit Levi really on the same concept should not get a share in the land of Israel. They weren't enslaved. When the Shavit Levi was in, was in Mitzrayim, they were not part of the slavery. They did, were not enslaved. They didn't pay the debt. So why did they get any property? Why did they get any property? And we know that they were given 48 cities. The Levim were given 48 cities. They didn't experience the same suffering as all the other Shvatim, as all the other tribe. And to make this question even even stronger... On Matan Torah, when, when we received the Torah on Har Sinai, Moshe Rabbeinu sent his father-in-law Yisro away. He sent him out of the land. Why? So, listen to this beautiful. The Medrash says that the HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, Bnei Yisrael, the Jewish people were enslaved. They had to make clay and they had to make bricks in Egypt. While Yisro was sitting in his house in peace and tranquility and security, now he's going to go and celebrate his, you know, my, Akadish Baruch was saying, my children's freedom. Moshe sent his father-in-law away. He says, you didn't go through the suffering. You can't participate in the, you know, in the reward for it. And Yisro didn't merit to be present at the giving of the Torah at Har Sinai. But then we ask a question, then this question makes it even greater. Why did Levi merit it? Why was Levi in Har Sinai? Levi was not part of the enslavement. They were not working. Why were they in? And not only were they were they were part in, by Har Sinai, but Moshe Rabbeinu was a Levi. Moshe Rabbeinu was a Torah was given through him. Aaron and his sons were also from Shevet Levi. They're also Levian, and they were the closest to the mountain. Levi was never enslaved. Why is he getting the reward? Listen to what the Zohar Kader says. Listen to this beautiful, beautiful idea from the Zohar. So the, the Pasuk in Shemais, chapter 1, verse 14, says that when the Jewish people were in Egypt, were in trying, they the Egyptians embittered our lives. They made our lives very difficult, very bitter. What did they do? With hard labor, with clay, and with bricks. Listen to what the, the, the Zohar HaKadosh says. That Paro convinced the Jewish people to come and work. Levi didn't go. Why didn't Levi go? Levi were involved in learning Torah. They were the priests. The priests in the time of Egypt were absolved from working. 
There were priests of God. You're focusing on the spiritual stuff. You don't have to worry. That wasn't just for the Jewish. It was also for the Egyptian. Any Egyptian that focused on, you know, spiritual, you know, growth, whether it was for idolatry or whether it was for Agnes Baruch, it didn't matter. You were, you were absolved from many things in, in Egypt. So the Zohar says, what does it mean that then the Jewish people, because the Jewish people were, were, were worked, kasha, hard labor, listen to what the Zohar says regarding Levi. So we know that the rest of the tribes, they were with hard labor, and kasha, hard labor, and with clay and bricks, they had to build, you know, uh, cities with their clay and bricks. But the Leviim, what's Ba'avaydakasha? Ba'avaydakasha that instead, Shavit Levi, instead of working and toiling in hard labor, they were asking questions, kushyas. Ba'avaydakasha, the same showers, the same word, kushyas. They were asking questions on the Torah. They were learning Torah. Bechaimer, what was it with, instead of clay? Bechalvachaimer. They were, they were toiling in kalvachaimers. Belevenim, they were clar- clarifying in Libun, in, in halacha. Meaning that all the difficulties that the Jewish people were having, the Shevet Levi were also having. The difference was, is that Shevet Levi was doing it in spiritual growth, and the entire Jewish nation was doing it in physical growth. So, when Esav went to Harsir to graze his livestock, and Yisra was peacefully sitting in his house, Levi was in Mitzrayim, but what was he was doing? Even though they weren't working, they weren't making bricks of clay, but they were in the fields of learning and toiling in Torah. And because of that, they were still considered toiling, because they were working, they were going through their suffering, but they were doing it through Torah. And not only did they merit standing with Harsinai, but they merit in the most holy place. And after entering Eretz Yisrael, they enjoyed the land's produce without having to work for it, per se, as the other tribes did. And this, as the Rambam, that Shevet Levi was Hashem's personal army. That it's not only Shavit Levi. It's not only Shavit Levi. I don't know. Whenever I speak about Levim, I get very, it's, it's like a personal thing. I'm a Levi also. You know, and it, but it's not only the Levim. It's anybody whose spirit is motivated and they des- designate themselves to stand before Akadosh Baruch Hu and serve Akadosh Baruch Hu. Then you know what happens, says the Rambam? That if you designate your life to serve Akadosh Baruch Hu, Akadosh Baruch Hu, God is going to provide you what you need in this world. Just like God provided for the Kohanim and the Levim. Just like God provided for the man and the people in the desert. And just as Levi was standing in the most holy place, close, Shevet Levi, close to, to Har Sinai. Close to Kabbalah Satarit on Har Sinai. And they entered Eretz Yisrael and they received a part of the land without having to work for it. In the same sense. The Medrash goes on and says that the, uh, well, actually a different Medrash, the Medrash embraces Rabbah, that the servant Eliezer, Avram's servant, is called an Evid Maskil, a, a intelligent servant. The Medrash asks, what's so intelligent about Eliezer, Avram Avinu's servant? And the answer is that he knew that he was cursed because of his ancestors, to become a, to become a slave, right? The pasuk in Bereshis chapter nine verse twenty five says, uh, uh, "It says, Arakanan Evid Avadim He's going to be a servant for his brothers. Eliezer came from Canaan. He knew that he was going to be a servant. He was knew that he was going to be enslaved. Now the question was, who was he going to be enslaved to? 
He could be enslaved to Avram Avinu, or he could be enslaved to a barbarian. Who knows what he's going to be, you know, have to do. So his work was that he had to draw from his master, Avram Avinu's Torah, and give it to others to drink from it. That was his, his servant. You know why he was considered a smart, uh, uh, you know, a smart slave? And Evid Moscow, because he realized that he's going to be a serving to someone. The question is, who is he going to serve? Is he going to serve the spiritual growth of Ramavinu who serves Hakadosh Baruch or is he going to serve some some random barbarian, ma- uh, you know, a master? And the truth of the matter is, is that we're all servants. The question is, are we going to be a servant to our evil inclination? Are we going to be, the Torah tells us that, the Chazal tells us that who is a free person? Only one who toils in Torah. Because if you go and you focus and your, and your desires, you're a slave to your desires. You're a slave to that time. But if you go and you focus to HaKadosh Baruch then you're Eved Elohim, you're Eved Hashem, you're, you're, you're a slave to HaKadosh Baruch so we are all slaves. We have to choose like a smart servant. Who are we going to be enslaved to? Are we going to be a slave to the master of the of the king of kings, or are we going to be a slave to our desires, going for whatever we want? And this option was also open to Adam Marishon, and he had an option of working. He had to work and guard the Garden of Eden, and it could have either done through learning Torah, perform, performing mitzvos. Or unfortunately, the opposite where he was kicked out. And unfortunately, he didn't merit. And he was thrown out of Gan Eden. And now he was cursed with We were cursed. And we were thrown out of Gan you know, Eden. So we come to Rosh Hashanah. And we ask our Kaddish Baruch Hu, Shana Tova Umetuka. Not only we're asking for a good year, but a sweet year. A good year, we're asking for the blessings. We're asking for the what? But we're, we're also asking that we should have a sweet year. We shouldn't have to toil for it. Let our, you know, our, 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 our blessings come at, with ease. We want blessings. HaKadosh Baruch Hu may bless all of us with tremendous amount of blessing. But we tell HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we want the apple, we want the blessings, but please, let it be in honey. Let it be a sweet blessing that we don't have to toil hard for it. But the answer is, is that really that depends only on us. Whether we have the sweetness or not really depends on us. Do we toil in the physical or do we toil in the spiritual? Do we dip the apple in the honey? Do we dip the apple in the, in, in the, the honey, the sweetness of the Torah? Or do we dip it into vinegar, into the, the harshness of the world? Do we exchange that toil for other things? Let's take this one step further. Oh, so beautiful. The Rambam teaches us, Maimonides teaches us, that the reward for learning Torah is commensurate with the effort. Depending on the difficulty of your push towards it, the greater is going to be your reward. And the Rambam tells us that someone who wants to acquire wisdom, wisdom will not remain with that person Except if they have to toil to, uh, if they have to toil to acquire it. So if you simply sit back and you're learning and you're, you know, relaxing and you're learning, you're not going to remember it as much as you toil and you sweat on it. When you work for it, that's when you're going to remember it. The Gemara and Brachas tells us, Gemara and Brachas 28b tells us a beautiful tefillah that we're supposed to say, Mo'idya ni lefanecham. We tell HaKadosh Baruch Hu, 
We're so grateful for you. That you put my portion from the people you put my portion from the people that are sitting in the base of Medrash. And you didn't put my uh, you know, my portion from the people sitting in the corners and wasting their time. When I wake up and they wake up, I rise early for going for Divrei Torah. And they go and they wake up and they do nonsense the whole day. I work, I toil, and they toil. But And this is the focus that I, this is the this is the sentence I want to focus. That I toil and they toil. I toil and I get reward, and they toil and they don't get reward. I toil and they toil. They do not get reward. Wait a minute. What does that mean that they don't get reward? Okay, so you want to say that I toil in spiritual and they toil in the physical. But if you toil in the physical, if you work hard, you see your success, right? If you're going, you're a tailor. You make a suit, you're able to sell it, you're able to see that. You're a wood, you're, you're selling wood, you're able to sell it. You're, you're, you're a carpenter, you, you sell a beautiful, you know, epoxy table. You're able to sell, you're able to make, what does that mean that I toil and they toil? They don't get reward. They get reward when they sell it. They get reward. It's worth something. They profit from it as well. The answer is that they don't receive reward for the work themselves. Itself. Meaning if you have a carpenter that figures out a way to make a beautiful piece of whatever, you know, table, wood, you know, dresser, but he may, finds a way of making it very easily, he's still able to sell it. If it's the same quality, he's able to sell it for top dollar. But what happens if there is a defect in it? What happens if there's termites and they eat the wood up? He can't sell it. So whether he works light or whether he works hard does not really represent the value that it's worth at the end. If he's able to produce a product at the end, then it's worth something. Doesn't matter how long it took you. If you were able to produce something, I'll pay for it. Okay, if it's difficult, I'll pay more. If it's not, I won't pay as much. If you found a, you know, a little trick, I'll pay a little bit. But the bottom line is, is that it all depends on what I was able to produce at the end. And if you didn't produce anything at the end, it's worth, worthless. If you spent 10,000 hours building the most beautiful, magnificent, uh, you know, like, Arna uh, Kaddish. But, it ended up being infested with termites. Can you sell it? No. It crumbles up. It's worthless. So you spend a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of money, but it wasn't worth anything. The effort you don't get rewarded for. The product, whatever you finish with, that's what you get rewarded for. But when it comes to Torah, it's not like that. It's according to the effort that is the reward. The more difficult it is, the greater the reward. Even if you don't produce any results. If you sit and you work on yourself and you fail and you fail and you keep on trying. You say, you know what? I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to be a better spouse. I'm going to be a better you know, daughter. I'm going to be a better son, a better husband, a better wife. I'm going to work on myself to be a better person. And you work really hard and you keep on failing. You think, okay, it was all for nothing. And the answer is no, it's worth something. If you work on yourself, 
spiritually speaking, even if you don't succeed, that re- that is worth something. You're going to get rewarded for that. If you work in the, in the physical world and you don't succeed, it's worth nothing. You could be working on a real estate deal for your entire life. If you don't close the deal, it's worth zilch, nothing, nada. If you work on yourself your entire life spiritually and you don't succeed, it's worth a significant amount. The more that you work on it, the greater the reward. Officer of Nassim brings this point further. It's better for a person to have one thing with difficulty than a hundred without difficulty. And there was a story with the Chafetz Chaim. And the Chafetz Chaim established a kolo in Raden. And the point of this kolo was to learn the service of the Beis HaMikdash. If you ever realize, you know, like whenever you get to a certain point when the Beis HaMikdash, many, many Jews are very confused. Like, okay, well, you know, the Karbanas and this, when you bring, you know, like it's a very difficult concept. Many people don't focus on it because, you know, unfortunately we don't have the Beis HaMikdash. The Chavetz Chaim says that we're going to make a kolo focusing on the halachas of the Beis HaMikdash. Avoid the Beis HaMikdash. And uh, the way that they were going to do it is first they're going to learn the Masachta B'Kiyas. In a, you know, just get like a, 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 a understanding, a very superficial understanding. Then they're going to review it again, B'Iyan, going in depth. And there was one particular Avrech, there was one particular person in the call that was very frustrated. He wasn't getting it. It's a difficult concept and it wasn't just, it just wasn't coming in. And, you know, he's looking at his, at his friend next, next to him, sitting and learning. He's on the first page. His friend is already on page five. He's on page, he's on Daf Beis. His friend is on, on Daf Hay. He's getting very frustrated. So he goes over to the Chavetz Chaim. And he says, you know, like, I'm very frustrated. He says, I'm still, I'm working so hard. I'm on Daf Beis. I'm still on the first page. And, and my friend over here is already on Daf Hay. So the Chafetz Chaim responds to him. He says, you're so lucky. He says, you're learning and you already achieved 102 Davim. You already finished 102 pages of Gemara. And at this time, the Chafetz Chaim was, was, was old. So the Avrech thought that the Chafetz Chaim didn't hear him. He thought, you know, like he said he's on Daf Beis, which is two. He said the Chafetz Chaim says, oh, you're already on page 102, Daf Kuf Beis. So he responded back. He says, no, 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 no. He says, Rabbi, I'm not on Daf Kuf Beis, I'm on Daf Beis, and I still don't get it. And the Chafetz Chaim looks at him and he says, your friend is on Daf Hay, right? And he says, yeah. He says, because he learns quicker, right? He's smarter than you. And uh, he says, yeah. And, and you're finding, you know, the learning very difficult, right? And he's like, yeah, that's correct. And the Chafetz Chaim says, exactly, that's exactly what I said. So you're on Daf, you learned 102 pages, he learned only 5 pages. And the Chafetz Chaim goes on to explain that anything that you acquire through suffering and through difficulty is worth a hundred times greater. He could be on Daf Hay, he could be on page 5, but you're on page 102. You know why? By the way, for anybody who doesn't know, the Gemara sta- starts on Daf Beis. It doesn't start with Aleph. So that's why the first page is, is page number 2. Uh, whatever. The, different time for a different uh, explanation of that. But So he said, you, you, you're still unstuck on the first page, but you already did 100 pages of that because of your difficulty that you're going for it. And that's how it works in the spiritual realm. The more difficult something is, the greater the reward that you're going to get. Listen to this. Oh, it's so beautiful. The passing in Tehillim, chapter 62, verse 13. It says, Baruch Hu, you are so merciful, you have the kindness. Because you pay each person according to his deed. There's a well-known question. 
And that is, what is chesed? What is kindness? Kindness is something Kindness, if someone works for you for an hour and you told them you're going to pay him $50 for that hour and you pay him $50, is that kindness? No, that's justice, right? You made a contract. You, he said he's going to work for an hour. You're going to pay him 50 bucks. He paid for, he worked for an hour. You paid him the 50 bucks. That's not chesed. Chesed is something that's lefnim mishuras adet, beyond the call of duty. That's going beyond it. So the question that you have over here on this pasuk in Tehillim, that what is the chesed that is said of our Kaddish Baruch The you know what the verse says? The pasuk says, l'cha chesed. For you is the kindness, ki you are going to pay each person according to his deed. This doesn't sound like chesed. You're going to pay each person according to his deed. That sounds like whatever he was able to do, that's what you're going to pay him. That sounds not like mercy. That's not like chesed. That sounds like, you know, din. That sounds like, you know, like, like, like regular, uh, you know, a transaction, uh, a business transaction. You did X, you get Y. That's the regular business transaction. So we know that everything has a price. A cheer has a price. A loaf of bread has a price. A pound of tomatoes have a price. Everything has a particular price. What is the price for a mitzvah? What is a price for learning Torah? What is a price in the spiritual world? And the answer is that we decide, listen to this fascinating idea, we decide what that price is going to be worth, what that mitzvah is going to be worth, what that learning Torah is going to be worth. How do we decide their value? Kima'asehu, the Pasuk says, according to their deed. If it was done with difficulty, if you pushed yourself, it was with more effort and more sacrifice, it's going to be worth more. It's going to be worth a hundred times more, the Mishnah Perkei tells us, that it's going to be worth so much more. It's greater to do something with difficulty, a hundred times greater. That's the value of what it's worth. Meaning that if you do something with difficulty in the spiritual realm, it's worth a hundred times more. You do it with joy, it's a thousand times more. The opposite, unfortunately, is also true. That Esav lost his Bechaira, his firstborn rights. Why do I Lamalia Bechaira? Why do I need the Bechaira? Why do I need the firstborn? Why do I need the birthright? He sold it for nothing because it was worth nothing to him. When someone regrets their good deeds, they lose it. We put a value, we put a price tag on what our Torah, what our mitzvahs, what our avaitas Hashem is worth. How much are we going to sacrifice for it? If we go and we sacrifice big for it, it's worth a lot. If we don't sacrifice for it, then it's not worth so much. It all, we place the value on it. So now, when you have a decree, that someone is supposed to work a certain amount of time. Someone has to go through a certain amount of suffering. Someone has to go through a certain amount of toil. It's up to you on how are you going to, are you going to make that a sweet or are you going to make that a vinegar, a bitter one? Are you going to do, do it through honey or through vinegar? Are you going to utilize that decree and put your, your, your suffering, your toil through Torah study? Then your panasa, your physical things are going to be taken care of. But if you decide that you're going to focus only on the physical thing, then guess what? That's where the suffering, that's where the difficulty is going to be on. And the beauty of it is, the beauty of it is so multifaceted that when we go and we work hard on our spiritual growth, it's not only that we remove the physical suffering that we have to go through, 
the reward that we get in the spiritual is a hundred, a thousand times greater. Meaning that let's say someone has 10 whatever value system, you know, like 10 pounds of suffering that they have to go through that year. And they decide that they're going to work on themselves spiritually. And it's difficult, right? To work on yourself is very difficult. To overcome tests and you know, your inclination, it's very difficult. It's not easy. And you work on yourself and you put the suffering in, in through learning Torah and growing and becoming a better person. So the 10 pounds of suffering, what you just did is that you took it away from your, from, from the decree, whether it was going to be a sickness, whether it's going to be a loss of job, whether it's going to be a, a you know, like, a, you know, childish, whatever it was, you transferred that into the spiritual. But it wasn't like a one for one transformation. Now that you work on yourself in the spiritual, with the 10 pounds of difficulty that you took from the physical, what's going to happen now is now whatever you worked on is worth a thousand times greater, a hundred times greater, depending on how much difficulty you had going through it. And that's what the Chafetz Chaim was saying. So, you're, so you have so difficulty that you're only going and you're struggling, you're learning, and you, it just doesn't come in. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't, you don't understand what the Gemara is saying. You don't understand what the Torah is telling you to do. You just have a hard time and you keep on working and you keep on doing it. You're worth a hundred times more than the guy who's a genius and has no problem learning. You have a difficulty listening to a Torah class. You want to listen to music. You want to go and listen to comedy. You want to listen to something else, the news. And you work on yourself and you say, no, I'm going to go to TorahAnytime.com. I'm going to go and listen to a Torah class. You know what the value is? Somebody else who sits and be like, how can I stop listening to TorahAnytime.com? They're going to be, get tremendous amount of reward. But when it's difficult for you and you do it, it's as if you listen to an hour class, it's if you listen to a hundred hours of classes you did it with happiness you fo- force yourself to do it out of joy and out of happiness a thousand hours of, of happiness of, of class of Torah classes do we understand the value that we have over here so we're asking Kodesh Baruch Hu, that we want not only a Shana Tova, we're not only asking for a good year, we're asking for a sweet year. We're telling HaKadosh Baruch Hu, no, 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 we want all the blessings. We want the Panasah, we want the health, we want the, we want the children, we want the Shiduchim, we want everything good, the hell, everything good we want. But we want it Mituka, we want it sweet, we want it without the difficulties. But without the difficulties, that depends on us. When we ask, when we ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Shana Tova Mituka, it depends on us. What are we gonna do? We're gonna tell HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Give it to us with ease. We're going to work on ourselves this year, spiritually speaking. We're going to overcome our anger. We're going to overcome. We're going to be, make sure that we dive in the Kavana. We're going to make sure that we're going to learn. We're going to make sure that we're going to grow and not, you know, just be a better person overall. And when we have that power, then we go and we, and, and we remove any suffering, any difficulty. And then if we have many blessings that are coming to us, we won't have to work hard for those blessings. It's getting late. I, I just so much more that I want to discuss on it. Um, we're gonna have to. Uh, um, we're gonna have to continue this aspect, uh, you know, next week. But I want to finish off with one thought. You know, why are the Jew- this is from the Divrayal? Why are the Jewish people compared to an apple tree? All right, we dip the apple in the honey, make a bracha loud and clear, right? It's a song. It's a very famous song. I don't think you're Yotzi, you're Rosh Hashanah without singing the song. Everybody knows the song. Dip the apple in the honey. Make up, you know, like the, the song of Rosh Hashanah. Why are the Jewish people compared to an apple tree? 
says the Devarayal, that an apple tree produces fruit before its leaves sprout. An apple tree is very different from other, from other trees. First, you have the leaves, that bud, and then the fruit comes afterwards. The apple tree is out of the way around. First, it produces fruit, and then the leaves sprout. What is this comparison to the Jewish people? The Jewish people said, when we received the Torah, focus of what we're talking about today, the we put our toil in the Torah. The Jewish people said, we heard it, we said, we don't want it. We, we're going to do it before we hear it. So that's why we're compared to an apple tree. The apple produces the fruit before the leaves. Just like the Jewish people said, before nishma, before we will hear it. We have the ability coming to Rosh Hashanah to present HaKadosh Baruch Hu with a reason to give us a Shana Tova Metuka, a happy and good, sweet year. And an aspect of it that we should start right here, right now, is to focus on our learning of Torah. Increase our learning of Torah. G'daylim, what they used to do in, in Elo is they used to increase their learning in Torah. Because Torah has such a huge power. And we're going to speak about this Bezal Hashem next week. I you know, thought that we'll get to some parts today, but Bezal Hashem will continue it next week. The Torah has such a huge, huge power. So may we utilize this time until Rosh Hashanah, and if you listen to this after Rosh Hashanah, whenever you are, to focus your toil, focus your hardship in learning Torah, in growing spiritually, in fixing your character traits, and becoming a better person, what's going to happen is that your suffering, your difficulties are going to be removed from the physical aspects of your suffering that was decreed upon you. And that's what we ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We want a good and a sweet year. We want the good, the blessings, but we want the sweet to come easy. We want it to come easy without a lot of toil. And that is where we come in and we say, Baruch Hu, we're going to work on ourselves in the spiritual aspect. And when we work on ourselves in the spiritual aspect, Akadosh Baruch Hu says, you know what? Shana Tova Umetuka. And we'll open up to uh, questions. Okay. How do we understand when good people suffer? How do we understand if... He is a righteous person. That is a very loaded question, and I'll tell you why it's such a loaded question. It's a, it's a good question. But um, good people suffering, there's a lot of answers to that, right? We had, we had, I think we put maybe two classes, at least two classes out of it, right? There are many reasons why it appears that good uh, you know, people suffer, uh, whether it's from a previous life or whether it's for a reward, extra reward. Uh, but... How can we understand if a person is a righteous person? We can never, I mean, we know like a good, a gadol, right? That's a righteous person. But we don't know any, any person, what's their level of spirituality? Like you could come to someone who, and I'm telling you this from like a personal experience where I speak to people where initially you looked at a person and you'd be like, you know what? Okay. This guy is like, you know, what is he like? You know, a regular, regular Joe Schmo out on the street. But when you learn his story and overcome the struggles that he came, be like, this guy is a righteous guy. And then you, you, you speak to another person who is a genius at birth and learning Torah becomes like so easy to him, you know, like, or her. And they just like read a book and they memorize it and they know like so many, they can extrapolate so many things from it. And you look at these two people, I'd be like, this is a righteous person, this is a wicked person, you know, just maybe the way that they dress, maybe the way that, and you really don't know. The, the aspect of not judging your, your friend, your neighbor is so crucial because the more that you get to 
learn from people or speak to people, the more that you realize, like, you have no idea. You have no idea who is righteous, who is wicked. I, well, I shouldn't say because many people are on a righteous level, but you really don't know the level of righteousness. Like sometimes I speak to people who are the most, I don't know if it's a nice way to say it, the most simplest people. Um, and when they start speaking to you about their avodas Hashem and what they do for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you all of a sudden realize, you'll be like, wait a minute. Like, I'm not sure I'm Jewish compared to this person. Like, this person works so hard on themselves spiritually, and in, and initially you think, okay, this person, like, what are they, the, and they give up everything for God. They give up everything for HaKadosh Baruch and what did we give up? Like, you know, like, like, all, like, like, it, it, it's so far and wide apart, the polar opposite. We really don't know, um, you know, if a person is righteous and where, where it's not, but we really should done everybody like kafschas because we really, you know, like, like, and I can tell you from experience, so many people you would have never thought and they're like, you know, like they're holding up the world. Like they're, they're like huge and they don't even know it. Um, but regarding the first part of the question, how do we good people, uh, you know, suffer is, is a whole thing in itself. Many, many answers that are giving it. The Chobos of Lovis brings down, you know, a few answers. Uh, but, um, I, the easiest thing would just be, you know, like, uh, go on, uh, I have a few cousins that why do, uh, righteous people, um, you know, suffer or something like this in Divinity Series. Maybe it's, I think, number six or something like that. Um, is, is one of the classes in it. Next question. Are you saying that it's better to toil spiritually? One billion percent yes. It is better to toil spiritually because you take away from the difficulties that come to you throughout in the physical world. Can it count, can it count, can it be counted as toiling for Torah learning if it's a struggle for you to only listen to a Torah class, not to do something else while listening to a class? A thousand percent. The more, so the way that it works in, in the spiritual world is that it's not only the difficulty that come by, you know, about it, but also the the focus on it. Meaning, so you could listen to a Torah class, you could even read a book, and and I can tell you like this: when I prepare for for classes, sometimes I could read a sefer, and I have to read the chapter like a few times till I get it. And sometimes I'm like in the zone, and like one time I'm like I get it. Now, what is it different? Generally speaking, again, it's minashmayim, and from you know, obviously, uh, my effort that needs to be put into it. If I'm lazy, obviously. I'm not going to be getting it right away, but at, at the end of the day, if you put like a strong focus that you want to buckle down and you're really focusing and you're really going to put like a hundred percent into your learning right now, you gain a lot more. So if you're listening to a Torah class and you're not doing anything else, let's say while it's worth a lot more, you're able to internalize it a lot more. Uh, many, many, many years ago, uh, before I started speaking, and I would listen to, you know, I used to go to, let's say, a certain shul, and I used to like a certain uh, rabbi who who would speak. This is something that I did, and I can't, I don't know why. I did this before I started speaking. If I heard something that I liked in like a Torah lecture, I used to write it down. That was my thing. I had I had a friend of mine that came into my house uh, right after I got married. Before I started speaking, he says, and I had a whole loose leaf already. Before I started, I had a whole loose leaf of of like classes and notes and like ideas. And he's like, "Oh, you speak?" And I'm like, "No." He says, "Why do you write it down?" I'm like, "I don't know. I, I like an idea. I want to write it down. I, you know, I have it that, that I can review it. And you know, like it, it, I feel like it's more mine." 
So what I used to do is that if I would listen to a class on Shabbos, it would be, you can't write it down. So what I would do is I would be listening to the shir, and while the speaker is speaking, this is what I was doing when I was, when I was younger. While the speaker is speaking, I'll be memorizing the speech. Let's say he would be five minutes in. While he's continuing, I'm memorizing the first five minutes. And then he's going to 10 minutes. I'm memorizing now. I'm going 10 minutes. So by the time he's finished, I already reviewed it in my mind a few times. And then throughout the day of Shabbos, I would be reviewing it in my mind. After Shabbos, I would go and I would write it down. And that's what I would, you know, and, and that, if you listen to a class for 15 minutes, and I've wrote, I have, I have still notes where, where there was both 15 minute classes. And I'll tell you, some of them from example were, was from Rabbi Eitan Feiner. Rabbi Eitan Feiner is a brilliant, a brilliant Talmud And you listen to his class for like an hour, for like 50 minutes, it's enough to speak for an hour. He speaks very faster than me. Uh, brilliant, brilliant man. And I would go and I would uh, be constantly reviewing that. And then afterwards, I would, I would, after Shabbos, I would go and I would, uh, you know, I would write it down. So listening to a Torah class like that, where I'm focusing, where I'm concentrating, where I'm reviewing and I'm memorizing, verse, I'm listening to a class like this and I'm looking around and I'm the, uh, of course, the value of the learning is very, very different. So if you're listening to a Torah class and you're not doing anything else, it's worth a lot more than if you're doing something else. Now, that shouldn't be said that if you're working and cleaning your kitchen, you're cleaning your house for Shabbos, that you shouldn't be listening to the Torah classes. Of course, you should be listening to Torah classes. But you should know the value of the more the, the focus that you have, the greater the reward. Okay. Next question. What if something is difficult for you, like listening to... Oh no, oh no! I think it's. I think did I not answer this one? What if it's something is difficult for you, like listening to a class? Do you get reward if you listen to for a short amount of time, like ten to fifteen minutes, and then go go do something you want to do that is more physical? Whatever, the more difficult, the more that you push yourself, the greater the reward. So yes, if you're able to only listen to 10, 15 minutes out of an hour class, 100%, sometimes that's greater than listening to the whole class if, if it's that difficult for you. Of course, you should focus and try to listen to the whole class. Okay, next question. I think working on yourself spiritually and learning is about connection with Hashem. On the other hand, working hard on a degree, you're not satisfied. You feel that the more that you... The more that you, I don't know why I lost, oh, the more that you feel accomplished, but the more spiritual you grow, you're satisfied because you're creating a strong connection with Hashem. I'm not following that. And that's possibly because I was distracted with this um, pop-up that I can't read it over here. Let me read this one more time. I think working on yourself spiritually and learning is about connecting with Hashem. True. On the other hand, working hard on a degree, you're not satisfied. You feel, you feel that you're more. The more you do, the more you accomplish. It. But the more spiritually you go, satisfied you're you great. If you're saying that the spiritual, I may not be understanding this question correctly. But if you're saying the the reason why you have a spiritual growth feels better is because you're connecting with Hashem. In a sense, that's true. But I feel like I'm not grasping the full extent of that question. Um, okay, um, and then finally, when will the last question is when will this share be posted? That's a good question. Um, I I hope that it will be before Shabbos, but if not, uh, then uh, right after uh, right after Shabbos. But on that, whoever does want to join our live Zoom classes, it's uh, right now every Wednesday night at nine p.m. Uh, you could email me at rabbizitron at torahanytime.com to be added to the WhatsApp uh, group. But that is the final 
question. Thank you all for joining. Until Bezat Hashem next week, we'll, we'll hopefully we'll be able to uncover a little bit more on this, uh, on this topic. Uh, may you all have a amazing, amazing week. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.